Well, hello, friends. This is Eddie, host of The New Activist, and I am excited to bring you this re-released episode from season one. It originally aired October 19th, 2016, and it is a conversation between Aaron Clifford and Mark Klukey, two incredible people who you will hear more from in just a few moments. I hope that this interview uh, just is as heartwarming to you as it was to me to listen back to. I really enjoyed this, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Before we get started, however, I wanted to remind you that The New Activist is presented by International Justice Mission. IJM is working to end slavery in our lifetime and won't stop until all are free. One way that you can help IJM, and you can like actually really help IJM, is by going to newactivist.is forward slash IJM, newactivist.is IJM, and filling out that form you see there. It is not asking for money. It is purely and only really asking for your voice and asking you to use that voice to ask your elected officials to help end slavery. No strings attached, no trick. We really just need you to sign that. So thank you for doing that. It helps more than you know. Here is Aaron Clifford. And Mark Klukey. Enjoy. This is the new activist. Well, this is indeed The New Activist, episode 006 with Mark Klukey. Mark is a colleague of mine at International Justice Mission who presents this show. And we don't have a ton of IJM people on the show because our desire is to kind of get out of the walls of our headquarters in Washington, D.C. and learn about what is happening in the world. But every once in a while, throughout the course of this show and over the different seasons, uh, we consider it a privilege to bring you the story and the life of one of the people that we get to work with. Mark had to be the first person on the show because he is remarkable, though he would never say that or even own up to that and would probably be embarrassed by that. In fact, I was a little bit surprised that he actually agreed to be interviewed. Mark was born a Midwestern boy on a potato farm. He uh, still has all of the charm and humility of a kid who grew up on a farm, even though he ended up working in very prominent positions and still does. You're going to hear about Mark's bio throughout the course of the interview, but I will say that it's probably helpful to note two big accomplishments. One is that he was the head of NCIS. Yes, that NCIS, like the one you may have seen on CBS. But it turns out it's not just on CBS. It's a real thing. It's the Naval Criminal Investigative Service, where he led a worldwide team of 2,300 elite personnel who were charged with investigating uh, uh, investigative and counterterrorism services for the Navy and Marine Corps. I mean, that's cool. I barely can even get through saying it. He actually lived it and did it. And that makes sense that now his role with IJM is he is the vice president of investigations and law enforcement development, which means that he leads yet another worldwide team in doing the work that IJM does and ending slavery around the globe. He is an incredibly talented and smart person, and I 
can't wait for you to hear his story. Two quick notes. First, the person interviewing him is named Aaron Clifford. Aaron is a really kind person. And she was just the perfect person to interview Mark because she just has a really winsome, kind way about her, but also asked the right questions. And I, uh, I, I was really impressed by it. But the other thing that you should know is that we're going to kind of take this in two parts together. The first part of this interview is going to be heavy and it's going to be hard to hear. But I think it's good to hear and I think we need to not let go because I'll pop back in and we'll take a little break together and breathe and then we'll hear the second part of the story which um, is really part of one big story a story that includes incredibly difficult realities and hope yeah hope so we are going to start with hearing about where Mark was on September 11th Let's start with where you were and uh, and what you were in the midst of. Right. Well, at that time in my career, I was assigned as the chief of the counterintelligence support branch for the Joint Chiefs of Staff within DOD. It's a, it's a long a title. title. <laughs> I know. Uh, really, it just meant that uh, I was fortunate enough to be leading a team of counterintelligence specialists who advised the, the chairman and the other uh, members of the Joint Chiefs of Staff on matters of counterintelligence importance to the Department of Defense. Um, on 9-11, uh, uh, my team and I were all present. Uh, my immediate supervisor was uh, out of the building, uh, the Pentagon, that is, for other meetings. And um, I was... Uh, Actually, leaving one office, our, our office had two different uh, office spaces, one on the ground floor of the Pentagon and the other was in a basement uh, location. One of my staff came running up to me, uh, and that's something you never see in, a, in the Pentagon. No one mm. ever runs in the halls of the Pentagon. So um, I, I noticed uh, the staff member running towards me, and I said, hey, hey, slow down. You know, what's going on? And he said, I think we have a problem. Uh, there's a plane that has just hit uh, the World Trade Center in New York City. And I, you know, immediately began to reflect, well, it's a nice day here. It's probably a nice day there. It's, I'm thinking it's an accident. I'm hoping it's an accident. Uh, but uh, Gene tells me, no, I think it may be something more. You really need to come to the other office. So we both went back down into the basement office. Uh, and while we were there discussing what was happening and looking at footage, of course, the second plane hit mm. the second tower. Um, and at that point, uh, Within moments, it seemed, uh, the alarm in the Pentagon went off uh, and called for all, uh, all personnel to evacuate, but only by certain routes and to avoid certain other corridors. And that seemed strange to me because we hadn't felt anything. We didn't hear anything. Uh, we certainly didn't see anything being in the basement. Uh, but it soon became apparent that something was desperately wrong at the Pentagon. And, of course... Uh, the only people traveling down the forbidden corridors were the ones who were rushing into harm's way to help those who had been injured um, and were the victims of, of the plane crash. Um, it was my responsibility to get my staff out of the Pentagon and to a muster point in the parking lot, uh, which is what we did. And, um, and at that point, I was able to account for all of my personnel, thank God. And... Um, 
we realized that we had to reestablish connectivity and uh, get the office to back up. So uh, transportation was shut down, the subway was shut down, and uh, everything was just stopped. Um, and we realized that we were going to have to walk there. Uh, and the really strange part of this was, as my staff and I were walking towards this other office building that we could establish our, our communications and get back into the fight, as it were, uh, we were literally walking across the graves of all the other heroes mm -hmm. uh, in Arlington National Cemetery and looking over our shoulders to see the Pentagon in flames uh, and thick clouds of black smoke rising from it. It was just, uh, in fact, there were several times where we all just stopped as a group and looked and took it all in. It was, um, it was really surreal. Yeah. Um, but the uh, you know, the one thing I want to point out is just the amount of heroism that took place that day. Um, young servicemen and women running into the uh, the crash point uh, with the fire, with the smoke, um, just immediately, and uh, throwing their own lives in the way of of harm to uh, to save those that they could. So many barely uh, missed being victims themselves, Ooh, yeah. you know, having just transited through that area of the Pentagon from meetings. And another thing that really struck me was um, I didn't even realize that there had there was a child and still is a, a, uh, a child daycare center in the Pentagon, associated with the Pentagon. And it just struck me as we were evacuating the building that we were walking alongside uh, service members who had um, gone into the child daycare center and rallied up all the kids, uh, everything from infants to toddlers, and uh, quite wisely had put all the, uh, the uh, infants in cribs. And there was a service member on each corner of a crib carrying children out, usually had three or four in a crib, um, to safety. And toddlers were being handheld and, and led out to safety. And it just, uh, I guess, was another surreal vision of uh, us being under attack, but the service members looking out for the babies. Uh, they actually circled the cribs in a circle, put the toddlers inside that circle, and then the service members stood around as if to guard, even unarmed with wow. their, their, you know, whatever they had to, to protect the children. It was quite touching. Wow. Well, and you certainly see some dark things. I know we do as an organization, but especially the the investigators and this, the side of the organization that you're in charge of leading. We have come through a tough summer as an organization, losing some colleagues and friends in Kenya. We sure have. Can you explain a little bit of what how that um, what happened exactly to the listeners who might not be as familiar with IJM? Sure. Well, um, our offices deal with different types of crimes, but in Nairobi, Kenya, particularly, our office there deals with child sex assault cases, but it also uh, deals with police abuse of power and corrupt police uh, personnel. And we uh, took on the mission of uh, supporting a client, uh, just a poor young man who was trying to make a means by being a, what we call, and they call, boat a boat a driver, a motorcycle taxi driver, if you will. And um, he was uh, brought up on some false charges by a police officer and then um, brought that case to us and we decided to support him. And unfortunately, in that process, uh, we found ourselves in court one day 
and uh, with one of our trusted drivers, one of our investigators, and our client, of course. And um, as they departed the courtroom and the courthouse, uh, they were kidnapped by the police officer in question and several of his uh, co-conspirators. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, taken to a remote location uh, where uh, unspeakable things were done to them, and ultimately they were killed uh, brutally, quite brutally. So, uh, yeah, that had a huge impact on the entire organization. Uh, but, uh, you know, my staff in particular uh, kicked into high gear, and I I'm blessed to have just super talented law enforcement professionals on my staff. Uh, from various backgrounds, and even some volunteers who uh, came in to help us out. And, uh, and we helped our Kenya office, basically, uh, and the, the trusted Kenyan police officers that we were working with uh, bring to justice some of these folks, or at least they're, they've been apprehended now. Uh, court dates are pending. And I know for a lot of us, it was it was a shock when we finally found out that they had been killed. Uh, we suspected, we, we hoped, hoped against that. We, we prayed that had not been true. Right. Where were you when you found out that that was the case, that we found them? Do you remember? Um, yes, I was at home. Uh, we, my, at that time, my uh, team and I had, along with our contingency operations folks, had uh, developed a shift work um, here, 24-7 coverage at headquarters, and I happened to be at home catching some rest uh, when I got the phone call that, the, uh, that two of the bodies had been recovered. And um, in a sense, I was relieved because I know that would bring closure to the family and even to our Kenyan staff. Um, unfortunately in my business, frankly speaking from day one, uh, I was hopeful, but doubtful, uh, that we would find that, that this was a rescue mission. I, I feared all along it was going to be a recovery mission. Um, and quite miraculously, as we were recovering the two bodies from the riverside, um, the third body was spotted on the other side of the river, um, and I say quite miraculously because had we not found that third body, it would have remained a huge question and an empty spot for so many people. Um, I'm glad we were able to bring closure to, to. It's a terrible, terrible, tragic situation, but I'm glad we finally brought closure. Yeah. And I'm sure uh, losing people that you care about isn't a new thing for you in your line of work and in all your years of service. How do you keep going? How do you walk that balance of needing to keep a level head in those moments? And especially if you're the one leading an investigation or you're in charge and also um, not turning off the, the your humanity in that moment as well. How do you walk that balance? It's difficult, but I, but my faith plays a role in that too. Um, you know, I know God has a greater cause and a, and a plan for each and every one of us. And um, I feel... I'm convinced that as long as I'm here on this earth, my, my role is to help others. And um, we, can't, we just can't let ourselves be totally broken down by the loss of loved ones or even colleagues, uh, and I've lost both. Um, you have to fight on. You have to. Um, otherwise, you know, if good people do nothing, then evil wins. 
and we, we just simply can't allow that. And there's always hope, right? Isn't there always hope? And that's what we want to bring to the survivors, to those who are still struggling and, um, you know, eking out an existence in the midst of just horrible conditions. You know, there's that hope that, yeah, we're going to rescue them too, bring them some, some light. Yeah. This is the halfway point. And, uh, you know, it was, of course, hard to hear that image. Well, first of all, just the image of my friends and colleagues at IJM, Willie and Josephat and Joseph, who we lost, uh, are forever seared in so many of us around the world who were praying for their recovery and mourning their loss, but also just that picture of the toddlers inside of the ring of cribs, inside of the ring of armed services personnel. Hard to hear that, but in all of that, um, I, I think that he uses the word at the end there, hope. Even in the midst of tragedy, and there is redemption, even when the story seems too dire. And so we move on to the second part of the interview with Mark. And Mark is going to kind of rewind a little bit. He's going to talk a little bit about his background as a volunteer firefighter, as a mentor. Um, and he's going to talk a little bit about what keeps him going as he looks towards the future. So I hope you enjoy part two. Here is Aaron chatting with Mark. Um, you, uh, as we know, worked for uh, NCIS for 31 right. years. 31 years. 31 years, which I think is amazing. Yeah. Uh, the faithfulness uh, as well in your career to that organization. So you've been a part of that, a large law enforcement organization as well. And I think my research is right in saying you're also a volunteer firefighter. I was, and I am now again. You are again. Yeah, at the ripe old age of 58, I am once again <laughs> a volunteer firefighter. Um, what does that look like today? Wow. Could you have Very to be called different. out of this interview at any moment, or how does no, that work? <laughs> actually, um, fortunately, uh, my wife and I have been blessed with a piece of property in Western Maryland. So whenever I'm in Western Maryland, I uh, put on my work duds and uh, strap on my pager. And if the pager goes off then, then I have to respond. Wow. So, uh, but it, it's great. It, you, you know, that's just, uh, I guess, part of my nature. Um, ever since I was in high school, I recognized the need to help others. And uh, that led to me joining a volunteer fire department when I was, I think, 16. Wow. And uh, here in Maryland. Um, I stayed with that volunteer fire department throughout college. Once I graduated from college, I became a local police officer in Annapolis, Maryland. Uh, served there for two years until I could convince what was then called the Naval Investigative Service to hire me. Uh, they subsequently <laughs> became the Naval Criminal Investigative Service. And as you say, I spent 31 years uh, at NCIS traveling around the world, um, helping protect our troops. So I loved it. It was a great career. I was blessed. So 16 when you started in the volunteer fire yes. department. What did your parents think about that? How did that even come to your mind as something you wanted to do? Well, at 16, they don't let you do a whole lot. Yeah. So that. <laughs> So it was kind of safe, you know, okay. just hang around a fire department and uh, wash the engines and that sort of thing. At 18, once you've had the appropriate training, you go out. Uh, you know, typical mother. Uh, my mother was uh, very reluctant and skeptical and, you know, resistant, if you will. My dad was all for it. He was uh, – my dad was a retired Coast Guard officer, so he was all into, you know, 
helping others and doing whatever the uh, community required. So, yeah, it was it was good. It was a great experience. I loved it. And uh, now that I'm uh, – well, I'm not really retired, am I? <laughs> not really <laughs> retired. I'm sorry to have to tell no, you that. No, I'm not. <laughs> you may have tried to retire, but, but it sounds like it didn't work. <laughs> but, uh, you know, actually I find that um, it's a good break for me. As you know, the work here at IJM is heavy at times. Um, our investigators get involved in some incredibly sad and dark cases. Um, and that's not missed by us here at headquarters, as you know. We hear those stories. We see the photos. And... Um, for me, as a, as a volunteer firefighter, to be able to go out on occasional weekends and help someone in a very tangible way, it's therapeutic. So I think you would be, for some people, would, um, would be one of their heroes. Um, so I'd love to know who are Mark's heroes. Uh, who are some people who've inspired you and that you think about when you think about leadership and the kind of leader you want to be in the justice movement. Yeah. Thank you. Well, you know, uh, early on in life, my hero was my dad. Hmm. Um, he was a highly effective uh, Coast Guard officer that uh, just uh, was loved by his crew. Um, and and that inspired me. As, uh, as life went on, I guess I found other uh, heroes uh, to include some pastors um, from, from a faith perspective. Hmm. And to that point, I know I'm dragging on here in your question. You, you didn't expect such a long answer <laughs> no, to your question. No, I like the answer. <laughs> um, you know, I had the great – and one of the reasons I love mentoring is because I had the great privilege for 31 years to serve alongside of U.S. military members. As an NCIS agent, we're all civilians. We're civilian federal agents. But we get the privilege of working alongside brave Americans, men and women in various uniforms – who selflessly serve their country day in and day out, put themselves willingly in harm's way for people they don't even know. And that, that really inspired me. So, I, you know, I have like uh, hundreds of thousands of <laughs> heroes, okay? Um, but, you know, I see through that I saw such great promise in youth. And uh, I see the potential in these young folks. And I can't help. I guess, but to try to help them any way I can, because I know that they're going to be a tremendous impact on the kingdom. Well, I know for many young people that I talk to, they would look out at the world and see, see all of the injustice and see all the suffering, and it can feel overwhelming, like there isn't anything I can do. Um, what would you say to that young person who's thinking about a, a career where they're going to affect justice in the world and would they'll be an, an advocate and an activist? Um, but that sense of the tidal wave going the opposite direction from you, and it's too much for me. Um, I'm sure you've had those moments too where you felt that. Oh, yeah. What what gets you back on the road, and, and why haven't you quit yet? Yeah. yeah <laughs> or officially good, good retired point. yet. <laughs> right? Yeah, just keep trudging <laughs> along. Um, my, my word would be see the humanity, see, see the people in humanity, see the person in humanity. It's easy to look at the world, our country, or your community as a whole and think, wow, you know, it's really not going in the right direction. But look at every, you need to look at the individuals and, and the, either the desperation or the hope in their eyes and recognize that that is God's creation. That person is real. 
and really loved by God as much as God loves you. And therefore, one person at a time, let's change this world. Because as you change that one person, it's, it's not just one. Then they go on to influence others. And on it goes. So investing in individuals is what it's all about. If you can focus on the individuals within humanity, it makes it easier. It, It makes it seem doable. And it is. Well, I have shared a lot on this episode, and I will keep my final remarks brief. But one thing that has always impressed me about Mark and continues to impress me as I listen to this interview that he did with Aaron. Um, And that is the fact that he is one of the more accomplished people I have ever met. He has certainly got one of the most high-ranking government jobs of anybody I've ever known. Yet in all of that, he leads with humility and he cares deeply about the individual. And I am certain that he does not see his impressive work as any more or less important as going home and being a volunteer firefighter. Uh, When we think about what an activist is, when I think about what activism is, it is not the accomplishment that makes the person, it's the person that makes the person. This week, we will be having conversations about this episode, I'm sure, over on Facebook and Twitter. Both of them are New Activist Is, one word, New Activist Is. And we also have a website, newactivist.is. There you can learn more about our hosts, you can learn more about the show, you can learn more about the people that are on the show, and you can subscribe to the show. We are available wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you happen to have a few moments going over to iTunes, and tossing us a few stars slash a review is really, really helpful and has been really helpful for people finding the show. So thank you for that. Our theme music for the show that you're listening to right now is by Ether. You can listen to more of his music at soundcloud.com forward slash Ether. And with that, we go back into the world. On behalf of my co-host Aaron Clifford, as well as my colleagues at International Justice Mission, I am... Eddie Koffeltz. Take care, friends.